the new addition to my essential reading list is a book called Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. And it was written 300 to 500 BC, something like that. Around about the time of the Bhagavad Gita. So I've mentioned the Bhagavad Gita in the classes before because it's the oldest really useful explanation of meditation. Interestingly, the pre-Christ concept of yoga, when, when I described the Bhagavad Gita, I explained that yoga is, was seen as the philosophy of the Indian warrior caste, which it was. But if you read the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, so Patanjali was a, a sage, and a sutra is like a chapter. It's, it's many verses in, I believe, Sanskrit, and it describes a lot of things that I wasn't aware were part of the understanding of the Hindu philosophy of life until about 800. Previously, I was interested in a thing called Advaita, which was largely the work of a, another sage by the name of Shankara, who lived in about 800 AD. And I wasn't aware that a lot of what he said is clearly explained in the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. So there's, there's quite a lot about yoga, and essentially yoga is understanding the nature of the self and our relation to the rest of the universe. One does this through meditation, so it's all about meditation. In terms of physical exercise, so we now all perceive yoga to be a form of physical exercise. When yoginis do exercises, they do things called asanas, and an asana is a pose. So you've got the cow, the cat, the plough, so on and so forth. There are 12 asanas in the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, and they're all seated. And then the 12th, I can't remember the name, is sit as comfortably as you can, basically. It's all advice on how to meditate. It's posture that will help you to meditate and help you to get comfortable while you're meditating. So the ancient form of yoga is all about meditation in Patanjali and in Bhagavad Gita it's all about action. But interestingly enough, they both share the same concept in an area known as karma yoga. And what karma yoga is, is the yoga of action. Action is a consequence of choice. We choose, there's a moment at which we choose to do something. I choose to pick up the glasses, there we go. I choose to pick up this water. There's a, a lot of study been done into choice, because if you can understand choice, you can understand how you can sell things to people. Yeah. So it, most of the psychology that has received the most approval through things like the Nobel, Nobel Prize uh, have all been based on action and choice because that's what 
industry wants to understand is why are you picking up this tin of beans instead of that tin of beans? I remember when I had managed to calm my mind to the point where I could sit and meditate and have about 20-25 minutes with no thought, I recognised one day that despite that, there came a point where I knew that the meditation was over and I stood up. And that was the beginning of my realisation that a lot of what we see as ourselves actually arises into our awareness. And choice is one of those things. So if you think choice is a rational process in your life, you can't be more wrong. The evidence, there isn't evidence for much in all of psychology and social science that is as overwhelming as the recognition that choice is an intuitive, habitual, instinctive thing. It arises in our awareness and then we do a thing called rationalisation. So I make this choice because usually because of instinct or habit and obviously there's, I feed back into my instincts and ha- my, my habits anyway because of what I become aware of. So I become aware of thought, I become aware of action, I become aware of experience and then that gets fed back in and so that influences later experiences. So if you do something and it's continually uncomfortable, you learn from that and so you feed, back, feed that back in and you develop another habit to do something that's not so uncomfortable. And similarly, the other side of the coin, which is the royal road to addiction, is that you realise something's pleasurable, so you do it again and you do it again, and you, you know, depending on what it is, it becomes addictive or compulsive, and that's just the nature of being human. Uh, We've all got that to some extent or another, we just need to look at our lives. So there's things that we do that are to gain pleasure, and there's things to do to avoid suffering and they become habitual and then they are the the things that determine what we do the example i have of this which i use as evidence for everybody which is so self-evident which is we all have that experience why am i at the fridge (laughs) why am i at the fridge or you're in you're in a room and you don't know why you went into that room you've forgotten so what you do is you go back to the first room Whenever I say that, it's so universal. What you're seeing there is choices being made subconsciously, just like when you're driving a car. You don't think, okay, so I'm coming up to a set of traffic. You do this when you first start driving, right? So what I need to do is, do I need to move down a gear or do I stay in the same gear? Do I put my foot in the clutch? Do I wait a little bit? Maybe I do, maybe I don't. Do I think they're going to change? Maybe some of us have a running commentary. But there's nobody that can't chat to their passenger So I know that if I'm in a car with somebody and they're chatting to me, then there's probably no running commentary. And so there's no thought involved. It's habitual responses. That is action. What action is, is the combination of, this is the order of priority. Instinct will always override everything. I need to go into that burning building to get my mobile phone, right? No, (laughs) it's not going to happen. You're not going to do it. What will happen is your instinct will stop you from doing it quite correctly. That's what it's there for. So instinct overrides everything. 
Then there's habit. Then there is emotion. But one of the things we need to recognise about emotion, so this is totally misunderstood. Emotion, the reason you're feeling an emotion now isn't for now. It's conditioning for the future. Because you're going to behave however you're going to behave based on your habits and your instincts. What you're experiencing while you perform that behaviour, that's emotion. And what that does is that informs your choices for the future. And we know this absolutely because there's a great neuroscientist by the name of Joseph Ledoux, who's dedicated his life to understanding emotion. And he has a concept which is poorly understood, which is a thing called the low road and the high road. The low road is your action, and the high road is your emotion. So when you go into the woods and there's a bear in the woods, you're running away, and while you're running away, you're frightened. And most of psychology and psychiatry was taught, and still believes, and it's still in the textbooks, that the emotion's causal. You see the bear, you're frightened, then you run. No. You're running away from the bear, and while you're running away from the bear, you're frightened. So emotion's there for the future. But having said that, what it does is it creates an association. So when you have an experience, it's laid down as a memory. Let's say you're in a room with a difficult person. You'll largely remember what the discussion was all about. You probably won't remember the actual words, who said what, to be absolutely honest. But you'll, you'll, when you bring it to mind, you'll know where you are in the room and you will know how you felt. And, it be, and you'll know how you felt because when you return to that memory, an emotion pops up in your experience. That's what emotion's for. It's there to associate future experiences and future thoughts with the residual emotion that resulted from the experience. This explains a thing called sensitization, where we get more and more and more sensitive to difficulties, especially if it's a difficulty that's repeated. And that, that can bring us to a very difficult place. So this is a little exploration into the modern science of choice. There's a brilliant study paper called Towards an Action-Based Synthesis of Consciousness. And it's a thing called passive frame theory. And when it first came out, it wasn't particularly heavily cited, but I think it's, the number of citations is growing. And what it says is that life is like a, a set of photographs, click. In this moment, there's all of the elements of our experience, what we feel, what we're doing. There's a potential action. I could do this, I could do that. There's thoughts, there's whatever communication we're receiving, and it's all framed so that the organism can make a choice, and then the organism makes a choice, and then there's another frame onto another choice onto another frame. And all of these frames, if they're significant enough, are stored as memories. And so you get all of that stuff in the memory, or, or as much of it as you can. So that's, what, that's basically moment, moment, moment. And feeding into it is all of this information and the purpose of it is to make a choice which brings me to karma yoga because karma yoga is the yoga of action 
but very specifically, it's a discipline. And it's the discipline of separating whatever it is you're doing from the outcome that you want to achieve. And this is what Gandhi understood beyond any shadow of a doubt. So let's say you're a carpenter, you want to build a roof, you're having to make changes. It's a complex structure. There's a lot of variables. You know, do I put this piece of wood here? Oh, that one's got a knot in it. Can I use it over there? All this kind of stuff. So it's a big, complicated thing. But you've got to create a... Right now, you need to create a join in the wood. If you're capable of separating your experience of now, which is making that joint, from all of the other things that need to be done from the roof, you'll be a good carpenter. But trust me, if there's loads of stuff churning around in your head while you're trying to cut the wood, and we know this to be true, if we're distracted by the whether we're going to achieve the outcome we wish from what we're doing now, then we do a less better job. And this has got all sorts of modern names. And one of the most interesting things is when people pop up with a lot of this, it's as if they've just invented it. So there's a guy with an unpronounceable name that wrote a book called Flow. Has anybody heard of Flow? So Flow is when you're so deeply immersed in something that you lose track of time. Art, hand skills, crafts, doesn't matter what it is. If it's creative. And then there's being in the zone. Heard of being in the zone? So this comes from basketball. There's Michael Jordan. Way in the distance. So small you can hardly see it as the basket. He's got two seconds to get this ball in that basket. Yeah. So he could win the game, win the championship, become wealthy beyond his wildest dreams. If he's thinking about the money, winning the game, what will happen if he doesn't? There's no way in a million years that that ball will go in that basket. But then what happens is you're in this place where time seems to slow down. It's just him, the ball, the basket, and it goes. That's being in the zone. That's karma yoga. Yeah. Karma yoga is the yoga of choice. So what? What's that got to do with meditation? Well, I have a meditation <laughs> that will help you to become aware of your choice. But what we need to do first is we need to do some basic meditations and, and clear our minds. You see, there's a, there's a meditation that I've been teaching for a while now called labelling the quality of thoughts. We separate them into fleeting, repeating, persisting, compelling. Does anybody do that? You do it sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and... and We've all pretty much all done it and, it, and it takes us into this hypnagogic place. So hypnagogic is the place between sleeping and waking. Basically, that's the mind. The mind is, it's the best way to describe it, it's like an ocean. Jung said it was dreams. The mind is lots of dreams. 
and that meditation gets you close to the mind because you're looking at the origin of thought and the thought hasn't become conscious and hasn't developed a momentum yet so subsequently it's a very deep place but deeper than that is choice yeah choice is deeper than thought as in terms of is it similar to our external feedback oriented reality yeah so Choice is deeper than thought. You'll discover that today. So what we need to do is just to do some meditations to, to help to calm, focus the mind, relax the body. And then we'll do the labelling the thoughts meditation, labelling the quality of thoughts meditation. And then we'll go on to what I call the karma yoga meditation. We'll start off with some very basic meditations and then we'll work our way up. And the thing to do is this, is if you get lost, you just go back to the last meditation you were comfortable with. Yeah, so we'll sort of one, two, three, four, five, six. So you get to three, and you think, well, this isn't good for me, then you can go back to doing two. Just because I'm teaching a meditation doesn't mean you have to do it. And I'm aware that a lot of my students, when they come along to my classes, so if you come along on a Saturday got quite a lot of very experienced students. They just come in, sit down, close their eyes, and they're meditating. My voice is just something that's happening in the background. So what we'll do is we'll start in the what has now become the new traditional way, which is by beginning with what I call the meditation of no meditation. And it's good to not see this as a meditation. You can if you want, but, you know. Meditation has a lot of baggage. So it's better to look at this as an exercise. And it's an exercise in listening. Our physiology is listening all the time. When we're awake and often when we're asleep, which is why if there's a loud noise... It'll wake you up because your brain is listening to your environment constantly. And all we're doing is plugging into that process. Usually it's subconscious. We're not aware when we're walking along the high street. We're not aware that we're listening to what's happening around us. But when there's a sound of a car crash, we stop and look round. How's that happened? The reason is because the brain is monitoring its environment, what it can see, smell, and hear. And if it hears something that could be a threat or a reward or worthy of our attention, it brings that to our attention. So this is process that's constantly happening and what it's doing is it's listening for the next sound. It never has to listen to a sound to identify it because it's very good at identifying sounds. So as we're sitting here, 
There were some voices outside. There's traffic in the background, ticking of the clock, movements in the room. And that's happening all the time. And what happens is the brain monitors the environment. It takes in the information that it receives. It's aware of it. It matches it up and it dismisses it. And that's going on all the time. And that's what the process we're going to plug into just by waiting for the next sound. find that the modern mind tends to get fixated on a specific sound. Interestingly, it becomes compulsively fixated on irritating and annoying sounds. One would think that if it's an irritating sound, one would bring one's attention away from it, but that's not so. The mind keeps getting drawn to that sound. And so that's what we notice when we do this, the mind being drawn to sound. And the solution is to become aware that you're sitting or lying. Here you are right now. And you notice that sounds are all around you. doing is listening so there's nothing to be done no goals no expectations you can't get this wrong notice I've not said anything about the mind we're indifferent to the mind mind can be going ape it can be calm doesn't make any difference just waiting for the next sound And we're aware that we're waiting for a sound all around us, not just in a particular direction.
and not trying to silence the mind. The more we want to silence the mind, the less silent the mind becomes. All we're doing is labelling thoughts. Thought arises, label it in our mind thinking, back to waiting for the next thought. So really this is a waiting exercise. So now we're moving into another meditation and this is called labelling the quality of thoughts. So with this what we're doing is waiting for a thought to arise and when a thought arises we label it depending on its quality. Now you don't have to remember all the qualities and when you do the labelling it doesn't matter if you get it right or not. So the first label is fleeting these are thoughts that pop into the mind and drift away. And you may be familiar with it, you may not, doesn't matter. Up pops a thought, drifts away. And when we notice a thought like that, we say in our mind, fleeting. Then if we get thoughts that we're familiar with, we say in our mind, repeating. Fleeting or repeating. If we get thoughts that come to mind and they stay there, it's stuck in your head, it's got a parking space in your head. You know it all too well. It's persisting. Fleeting, repeating, persisting. And then there are thoughts that are very powerful. They have a lot of emotion attached to them. And they're what we call compelling. So we have four labels. Fleeting, repeating, persisting, compelling. What we're doing is waiting for a thought. When a thought arises, we label it fleeting or repeating, or persisting, or compelling. And then we're just back to waiting for a thought. And the next thought that arises, we label that either fleeting, repeating, persisting, or compelling and then back to waiting for the next thought and repeat labelling the quality of thoughts
So we mustn't try too hard to get it right. When I do this, almost every thought's fleeting. Other people, every thought might be persisting or repeating or compelling. doesn't matter. So back to waiting for the next sound. It takes a little while for the mind to move from one activity to another. That there's a lag, always, it's always there. Just waiting for the next sound to arise, whatever it might happen to be. And now, noticing the movement of the belly, belly rising and falling. And what we're doing there is waiting for the next breath. When we're breathing in, we're waiting for the out breath. While we're breathing out, we're waiting for the in-breath. Now we're waiting for thoughts. Whenever a thought arises, whenever the inner voice says anything, a sentence, a word, an image gets created, a sense of something arises in our awareness, whatever it might happen to be, we'll just wait for the next one. Just waiting for thoughts. So we can wait for sound, we can wait for breath, we can wait for thoughts. Sounds breath or thoughts. Now, this meditation, the Karma Yoga meditation, you can either wait for the next sound, you can wait for the next breath, or you can wait for the next thought, sound, breath, or thought and you get to choose so what you do now is you wait for the choice wait for the choice to arise in your mind to wait for the next sound wait for the next breath or wait for the next thought 
you just wait for that choice to arise. And when it does, that's what you do. So if the choice arises that you wait for the next breath, wait for the next breath. Become aware of the breath and you come back and wait for the next choice. If the choice is to wait for the next thought, you wait for the next thought. When a thought arises, back to wait for the next choice. So we're waiting for choice to arise in our awareness about whether we wait for sound, breath, or thoughts. doesn't matter what the mind's doing, how you feel, whatever, anything else that's happening, just waiting for that choice to arise. Over whether you wait for sound, breath, or thought. When you do that, back to wait for the next choice. Now just waiting for the next sound, remembering that it can be anywhere around you. Noticing what you can smell, the sensation of sitting, the feeling in your fingers and toes, how cool or warm you are how tired or alert you are, how comfortable or uncomfortable you are. Noticing the breath. And breathing in, noticing whatever you can smell and taste and the sensation of sitting. And in your very, very own time, whenever you're ready, gently, patiently, compassionately, Return your attention to your surroundings. Okay, so here's the thing. Who was able to wait for the next choice? Anybody? Were you able to do that? but you can do it. Waiting for the next choice. 
you're waiting for the choice of whether to say anything about whether you waited for the next choice. There you go. But notice what's happening. Right. I was trying it. I couldn't tell whether it was a choice or whether it was just happening. One of the three things. Yeah, yeah. Whether it was a, cho- a choice or if you. Yeah, yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Just happening. So you, you couldn't tell the difference between whether it was a choice or whether it was just happening. Mm-hmm. You've just learned the nature of choice. It just happens. Mm-hmm. It just happens. Choice arises from within. Right. Very, very useful thing to become aware of because when you know that that's the case and it's absolutely the case we know this beyond the slightest shadow of a doubt choices arise pretty ready packaged think about the three biggest choices that you make in your life now there's always exceptions to every rule right but generally speaking your house that you go to buy, you walk in, you look around it, this is the place for me, yeah? You know, you know if it's not, there's something about it you like, something about it you don't like. To be fair, sometimes people make measured financial decisions and they, they're, they're doing what's a ra- what we could all call rational. But out of the houses you get to choose from that are in the price bracket, area, distance to the station, etc., etc. Within that, you have a choice. That choice is invariably an unconscious one. Cars, second biggest expense for most people. The motor industry is known for decades that it takes people, they say, seven seconds to make a decision to buy a car. Jeremy Clarkson, who's a bit like Marmite, he wrote an article in the Times way back in the day when I still read newspapers. He had this uh, regular column about cars. And he said, the motor industry says it takes seven seconds to decide if you're going to buy a car. He said, that's absolute balderdash. He said, it's a lot quicker than that. (laughs) And he started raving about the last car he bought. And the motor industry knows that, which is why when they sell you a car, they don't tell you anything about the car. Anything they told you about the car might cause you to not buy it. Instead, what they do is they get ridiculously attractive young people driving in a car on a road with no traffic in the countryside with a photoshopped sunset in the background And what they're doing is they're working on what we call in marketing the reptilian brain, the deep parts of the brain where responses arise fastest. And the final thing that is the one, that person, they're they're going to be the one. That's an emotional decision first. And then, you know, there's a box ticking exercise that you may or may not get involved in. But by then, you're hopelessly biased, so we all know what the outcome is going to be, right? So there you go. That's that's choice for you. Bearing in mind that... Just one thing I need to say. Bearing that in mind, you actually have a supplementary choice, which is this. Are you aware 
of those choices being made or not. Mindfulness, which is the undistracted awareness of the present moment, means yes, you're aware you've made this choice. Lack of mindfulness, at the opposite end, which is being on autopilot, you haven't got a clue. It's just been part of your day. So the more you become aware of the choices, the more you can influence them. Very unlikely you can unmake the choice you just made, but you can notice you made it. And we make choices all day long. So that is karma yoga, which is the yoga of action and the yoga of choice.